please be aware that in this episode, we will be discussing sexual assault. You're listening to Rock Your Kindness, a new podcast presented by Love What Matters and dedicated to highlighting incredible stories surrounded by kindness. I'm your host, Tracy Farron, author, speaker, cancer thriver, and online creator. But what I really love to do is inspire others to be kinder to themselves and those they encounter, because you never know how your kindness can change the trajectory of not just your life, but the life of another. I'm a mom of three amazing children, and I work full-time in healthcare. I'm also the founder of a 501c3 nonprofit organization called Signed with Love. My organization is focused on mental health awareness and suicide prevention, which I'm incredibly passionate about. Why? Well, because I get it. I know people say I get it all the time when trying to relate to others, but I truly do get it. Before I get into my organization and how I'm currently doing, allow me to explain why I truly get it and where it all started. My name is Tiffany Mills. Let's time travel a little bit. You see, I was 16 years old when I was diagnosed with PTSD, anxiety, and depression. I experienced my first sexual assault at 16 years old. Yes, I said first. I was a 16-year-old girl full of life and innocence. I met a man in his 20s who told me I was mature for my age and not like other women. I never told my parents about him or his age until after everything happened because I knew my parents wouldn't approve. That should have been my first giveaway, that it wasn't okay, but I was young and naive. We became what I thought were friends. We agreed to grab food one evening, and that's when it happened. It was brutal and horrifying. The more I fought him, the worse it got for me. When he was done, I was rolled out of his truck and left in a grassy area full of water, dirt, and sticks. I was bruised, bloodied, and had a lot of different injuries. I managed to call a friend to pick me up. I saw a doctor and reported it, but was advised to not take it further due to the age gap and was told it was likely nothing would happen. So I listened. My parents were a great support for me during that time, and they urged me not to drop anything, but I just didn't want to keep reliving that moment. I ended up experimenting with alcohol to numb my feelings and stop my thoughts. I was 16. It was a few days after my 16th birthday, and my brother's older than me. I knew a lot of my brother's friends. This was not one of my brother's friends. I hung out with a lot of people that were older than me because my brother was older. I got along with everybody in the neighborhood, and then meeting everybody else's friends. Like I was always around people older than me. I didn't think anything of it. And I became really good friends with somebody I thought I could trust. It's weird looking back at it because like looking back at it at 30 years old, I can look back and see like where all the red flags were that I just didn't pick up because I was 16. I was, I was innocent. Like I was a virgin. I was a baby. I did not know anything like that. I guess I had like the rose colored glasses and just looked past all of it. But this specific night, it was a few days after my 16th birthday, he told me he wanted to come hang out. He wanted to take me to get food. And I said, okay. So I threw on some jeans, a pink tank top, and a black sweater because it was cold, and some sneakers. And 
he was kind of off in his like demeanor and the things he was saying, like he was sexualizing things that he had never done before, which kind of threw me off. But I was like, okay. And then once we were in the car and like driving, I could smell what I knew was alcohol. I just didn't know what he was doing or how much he had drank. And I was already in the car. So I was like, okay, this is not a good spot. And we drove right past everything that had food. There was no food. I don't think food was ever a part of the plan, to be honest with you. He drove me to a park that had soccer fields and an empty parking lot. And it was dark. It was super dark. And he put his arm around me and he parked like in the parking lot like that. Like that's where he pulled into. He put his car in park and I just looked over at him and I was like, that we passed like a McDonald's and like, I was just like naming things innocently, knowing that something wasn't right, but I was kind of stuck and he kept scooting closer. And then he would like put his arm around me and he was like rubbing the back of my neck. And I was like, okay, I'm getting uncomfortable. Like, can you please stop? And he tried to kiss me and I backed up and I looked at him and I was like, I don't know what you're doing, but like, I'm not ready for that. And I don't see you that way. And that's the last sentence I remember coming out of my mouth before my head was slammed into the door. And I woke up to him on top of me in the bench seating of the truck. Like, you know how trucks have like the middle thing, but the middle piece Mm -hmm. comes up where it's like a row. That's the kind of truck he had with the seating. Wow. What was going through your head? When I woke up, I was kind of just shocked and I panicked. And the more I would fight with him and the more I would try to like push him off me and would cry and tell him to stop the worse it was. And the more pain he inflicted and the more marks I had, I was being choked. I was being smacked in the face. I was being elbowed. I was being screamed at. I was being threatened to be killed. And he was going to kill my whole family if I said anything. And so at one point I just kind of stopped, like I just stopped moving. And it was the weirdest thing. It was like, I came out of my own body and was just like looking down at myself with him on top of me. And I was just like, totally lifeless. Like it was like, I just gave up. And like, I knew I didn't think I was going to ever get home at that point and then I just started thinking about oh my god what are all the things I'm never gonna have like this was supposed to be a choice I made on my own to to give up my innocence in that manner and I never I never got to make that choice that went through my mind a lot that still goes through my mind I didn't have kids at that time so I immediately thought it was going to be worse than than a sexual assault I thought I was going to die I didn't think I was going to get home ever So you got home and then did you take any legal action or go to the police? What happened with all that? I did. The first thing I did is I got to my parents' house and I told my mom everything because I obviously I was covered in bruises and cuts and scrapes and handprints and marks. So I immediately just started crying and I told her exactly what happened. I told my mom, my dad, I went to a clinic that did a rape kit and I had to give them the outfit that I wore. Police were contacted and I was instantly like interrogated. Like there was no what happened type of thing. It was, well, did you say yes and then change your mind? Or what were you wearing? And you're 16, you're hanging out with someone that's five, six years older than you. What were you doing? And why were you wearing a sweater that was a crop top, but it had a tank top under it. So it wasn't actually a crop top. It was a double layered outfit, like the typical early 2000s kind of outfit that everybody wore. I was just kind of interrogated, like me being the victim of a sexual assault it was flipped around and I was kind of like the accused. So after dealing with that, I kind of panicked and I didn't want to do it anymore. And I started researching like sexual assault and how many people have gone through that and 
how many of those people have gone to jail or prison or served any time or did anything that serves as some sort of justice for what they had done to their victim, whether it was a male or female or whoever. And it was almost never there. Like it didn't happen. So I just didn't cry anymore. I quit. When you say it didn't happen, you mean they didn't have to serve any jail time or didn't go to prison or get convicted of anything? If you look at like the statistics of sexual assaults, like the majority of people, men or women that have gone through sexual assault, they either don't report it because they're afraid nothing's going to happen or they report it and nothing happens. Super rarely does it actually go through the court system and whoever this person is, male or female, because I think it's really important to focus that men and women both get sexually assaulted. Yes, it's more common in women, but it does happen to both. But whoever it is, like usually most of the time, nothing happens, whether it's okay, a slap on the wrist. It doesn't matter. There was an instance where it was, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention like specific cases that have happened like in the public. Like I think his name was Brock. He was like a college kid and he sexually assaulted this girl. And that was all over the media, all over the media. And that replayed in my head for so long after that happened, because all the judge did was talk about, well, he's got a record time in swimming and didn't want to destroy his college future Mm. career. And I'm like, this girl just lost everything. And now she has to go through therapy and counseling and is going to, for the rest of her life, have these visions, but you're worried about his swimming time. It never really seemed to matter. Stuff like that. Do you think it's fair to say that maybe, I don't know if it's society or who, but maybe they don't see this as a crime. I feel like it's a mixture of people not seeing it as a crime because people have normalized and kind of flipped what consent actually is. Mm. Like there are people that are in relationships and if they tell their partner no and their partner will continue to beg and plead and try to coax them and talk them into saying yes and changing their mind, they're still like, well, I'm giving them consent. Like, no, you're being talked into it. That's still a form of assault. Like you can't do that. So people have kind of normalized sexual assault and taking the word no and switching it and not taking it at face value and just simply leaving it a no. I think that's part of the problem. And I also think there's too many people that get angry about things. And that's the first thing that they claim happened. And I think that should even be something that's worth being convicted of. If you claim that you were sexually assaulted and you end up telling the truth and saying you weren't like that happens all the time. Yeah. And that's another reason it doesn't get taken seriously because people use it. So the first time everything happened, you said you started drinking. Yep. Is it fair to say that you started drinking to like cover the pain to try Absolutely. and bury the pain? Absolutely. That was my exact thought process. I would drink and I would be numb. I yeah. wouldn't think about anything. And looking back at it now at the age of 30, I was like, oh my God, you were so not numb. Like you were so depressed 24 seven. And if anything, like drinking intensifies your feelings. But at first you're just kind of laughing and you're able to mask it. It's like a bandaid. And then once you're by yourself is everything kind of comes crashing down. And that's when it's like, oh my God, I can't believe this. I went through this. And now here we are again. Like once I started drinking, it was pretty downhill pretty quick. And I was drinking all the time. I would have it in my room under my bed and I would get a cup and put a lid on it so that nobody could smell it. And I would specifically drink it through a straw and walk around my house. Yeah. My parents had no idea. And my parents, God bless them because they're, my parents are great. They really are, but they had no idea that I was doing that after I was 19 and everything. Then obviously they knew because I told them, but yeah, I I was definitely drinking to try to forget about what happened and to not think about it and to try to force myself to be bubbly and giggly and laugh and be more 
outgoing because I literally felt at that point that I lost like a huge piece of myself. Like when that person took my innocence from me, they took a lot of me and that broke me for a really long time. Did you seek help when you were 16 for the first time? No, I thought about it, but once you go to the police and they're kind of like, well, did you say yes? And then change your mind? Like, why are you hanging out with somebody older? You um, immediately, you're like, oh God, maybe I did do something. And then you start Mm -hmm. reanalyzing and thinking and trying to play back every look. Did I look at him in a weird way? And you kind of fall into that spiral of what did I do to somehow deserve this? Even though we know we didn't, at that point you start to look back at it and then you don't feel like you deserve help because you don't know if you did it to yourself. A grown woman in her 40s, because I mean, it happens at all ages, right? Yeah, for sure. Doesn't even know how to handle it. At 16, you do not have the tools or the resources to be able to cope with something like that. So in my opinion, turning to alcohol or drugs would make make sense. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So when you found out all of this, you just decided to drop it and try and move on. Was that... Yeah. So I started, I just tried to not really think about it as much, which didn't really do me any justice. I started hanging out with other people and my way of trying to not think about it. I, again, my brother's a little older, so I knew what drinking was. I started drinking at 16. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I ended up experimenting with alcohol to numb my feelings and stop my thoughts. It worked for a while, about a year actually, but then I ended up at a party with one friend and I didn't know anyone else there. I went to lie down in the guest room where I felt an arm wrap around me, which led me to my second sexual assault. He was in the military with a baby on the way. I reported it, but nothing happened. I was accused of being promiscuous at 17 years old. I was interrogated, told I had no business drinking, and that a man in uniform would never do such a horrific thing. So that night you were sexually assaulted again? Yes. Not Um, by your friend, by someone at the party? He still beats himself up about it. We don't have much of a friendship anymore because he blamed himself and it was really hard. But yeah, it was a friend's sister's birthday party. It was his friend. It was the brother of the girl whose birthday it was, and he was in the military. And I very vaguely remember, like, because I had drank, I had drank a decent amount. Like, I wasn't obliterated or over the top to where I couldn't remember anything, obviously. But I definitely had a decent amount to drink. And I told him that I was going to go lay down in the bedroom where nobody was at because I was 
something in my stomach wasn't sitting right. And I don't know if I should have been listening and thinking like, you know, maybe this is like a gut instinct you need to leave, but I wasn't driving. I rode with my best friend at the time and I went and laid down and I remember closing my eyes and just trying to like take a nap in my brain. And I was like, okay, you're fine. You're in a good spot. You're okay. Like nobody's coming in here. There's a whole group of people out there. Like nobody's going to do that. So I laid down and next thing I knew, I heard the door open. I thought it was probably just my best friend coming to check on me. So I didn't even roll over. I just laid there and I felt an arm come over me. And when I looked down at the arm, my friend was platinum blonde. The hair that was on his arm was like, pale. It was very blonde hair. So when I looked down and I saw dark hair, I knew it was not my friend. It wasn't him. So I started to roll over to see who it was. And that's when I saw that it was the brother that was back. And like I said, he's in the military and I didn't even fight with him. I said no multiple times, but I immediately like in my brain, something just switched and was like, if you fight him, you're going to get the crap beat out of you. And somebody walked in and walked back out. And I don't know if they thought that because I was just laying there and wasn't screaming that it was just okay. Cause he literally told them to get the F out and they did. And they did. Didn't even think about it. So what happened afterwards? Right after that, I was left in the room. He vanished. I don't know exactly where he went. My friend came in and I was crying and throwing up and just losing it. And I wasn't like completely clothed. My bottoms were off. My top was on. And I told him who it was and what happened. And he freaked out and he couldn't find him. And he just sat there and then he was like, we're going to leave. And he got me in his car and we went back to his house. And I was just a mess the entire night. And I went to the same clinic the next day where they did do a rape kit. And they told me that there was like evidence of it being like forceful and there were issues. and we called the police again and I was told a man in uniform would never do that. You were told what? A man in uniform would never do that. As soon as I started talking about it, one, I was not 21. I was on a college campus drinking. So that was brought up. And then, like I said, as soon as I told them that it was somebody that was in the military and I found everything out about this person, because now I was on a mission that I was like, it's never going to happen again. Like, how could somebody do this? Like, how can this happen more than one? And that was their defense was a man in uniform would never do that. So how old were you the second time? I was 19. 19. So that was in your 30 now. So a little over 10 years ago. I just can't believe that that is what they said to you because my daughter was married to someone in the service. And she told me that it's actually pretty common. It's very common, especially on base that it's very common. So I'm kind of shocked at that was said to you. And I'm kind of shocked, honestly, Tiffany, that you are being treated both times like it was your fault. And you said that a lot of people don't speak up. And I don't watch a lot of the news, but sometimes I'll catch a story or my husband updates me on a story or you just see something on social media. And it does seem to be common that it's almost the woman's fault. Like, well, what were you wearing? And all honestly, my thing is, I don't care if she was running across the street naked. <laughs> yeah, I'm not no, asking for but, it. <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, something that I've dealt with in the culture I was brought up in is to help a man keep his thoughts clean. We need to change the way we dress. And I'm like, yeah, I heard that. No, 
I am not going to change the way that I dress to help a man. The man needs to control his own thoughts. That's not my responsibility, nor are you going to place that on me because I'm wearing leggings. Completely agreed. <laughs> leggings. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> not doing it. I have found in certain cultures or whatever that there's just way too much blame put on the woman or too much responsibility. Like it's our responsibility, our duty, all these things. And I'm just like, I just don't agree with that. And the fact that they would ask you questions and interrogate you, like, what were you wearing? And why were you drinking? And why were you at a college when you're not 20? I don't anyways, it just is yeah. mind blowing to me that you were treated this way. So the second time you kind of go through it all again, what is going through your head? What do you do after the second time? I self-isolated pretty hard. I started smoking. I started taking pain pills, even though I wasn't actually like in physical pain. I was just, do again, I was... Emotional pain. Yeah, I didn't know what to do. And I had a friend who had pain medication for certain things. And she was like, here, just try this. Like, it'll help with the anxiety. I was like, okay, cool. Boy, do I have it. Like, I have a lot of anxiety, especially now. And it just was almost like an immediate, okay, I'm not thinking about it. This is great. And I started taking them all the time, not to feel the high of anything, but to feel nothing. Yeah. So that's what I basically started doing after that for a while. And so even then after the second time, were you encouraged to seek help or therapy or, or anything like that? No. Wow. Only by the clinic that performed the rape kit was I encouraged to go talk to somebody. But again, like, how do you even feel comfortable talking to somebody when the people that are meant to help you are turning you from the victim to the accused and you're now being interrogated for having that taken from you? What help do I need? Like I came to you guys for help and I was You're not getting it. basically told it was your fault. Like I wasn't going to go and have another professional look me in my face and tell me, well, you somehow did something to deserve it. Wow. Because I was already losing my mind. I did not want to hear that from another professional that was supposed to help me. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. A few weeks later, I stayed at a female friend's apartment overnight, and we agreed no boys would come over. Her boyfriend came over and he brought a friend. I sat on the couch and he was drinking in the other room with my friend's boyfriend all evening. Everyone had finally fallen asleep. My friend was cuddled up with her boyfriend in her bed and I was under the impression that the friend he brought was asleep in the guest room. As I grabbed my keys, he came out of the bathroom, slowly walked in front of me and asked where I thought I was going. My heart sank. 
My trauma kicked in, and instead of leaving, I was scared and froze. I panicked. I said I was going home. He chuckled and started kissing my neck, placing his fingers all over my lips as he guided my left hand down his wristband where I felt a gun. I was guided to the bedroom as I silently cried while everything happened. He finally passed out and I took off. I never spoke a word to anyone about it. I then entered an era of self-harm. When I started to self-harm, I did so in places no one could see because I didn't want people asking me what was going on. I didn't want people to think I wanted attention. I did it on my thighs and hips because I wore mostly jeans. I did it on my upper arms because basic t-shirts covered it. As time went on, it got worse. I started to self-harm differently. Drinking as much as humanly possible, I ended up with alcohol poisoning on several occasions. I started taking medication that wasn't mine to help with panic attacks. What in the world is going through your head? How are you coping with it? I wasn't. I was self-harming. I was drinking. That was the first time that I went up to the Skyway Bridge. So self-harming, what do you mean by self-harming? So with self-harming, I wasn't doing it to take my life because honestly, I don't know. I was like taking erasers and I didn't really know what it was that I was doing at the time. I can look back at now and be like, okay, you were de very depressed and you were trying to make yourself feel something that wasn't what you were thinking of. I would take erasers and I would like rub them on different areas of like my leg until it was like a burn and it was bleeding. Or I would take lighters and I would hold it until it was like super, super hot. And then I would take it and I would stick it on something. And it was just different things to like pull me out of an anxiety attack. It wasn't a healthy way to do it, but that's what I was doing. And I would cut my thighs. I would cut my hips. I would cut places that nobody would see because then nobody would ask. Because then these conversations wouldn't happen where people are like, oh, well, what are you actually really depressed about? And then I'd have mm -hmm. to talk about it. So I did it to where nobody saw. Nobody saw. What does self-harming do? I know you said it would help you out of an anxiety attack. Are there other things like just in general or with you that why people self-harm? A lot of people do it because it's like they're so hyper-focused on the pain they're feeling internally that they want to feel something else. So they'll do it externally to make themselves feel something else. So also let them know, like, this is real. Like what you're feeling is real and it sucks. So a lot of people do it because they just want to feel something else other than yeah. what they're feeling in, on the inside. I don't know much about it, but as you're saying that it made me think, is it like a redirection of pain? Like I can't handle this much pain, this type of pain that I've been dealing with for so long. So let me redirect my focus maybe to this type of pain. Absolutely. Okay. That's spot on. That's completely spot on. Cause there were times it was like an overload mm -hmm. and it's like, if you hold a cup under a faucet, it's going to eventually overflow. Mm -hmm. Where's all that water going to go? So that's kind of how it is when you're internalizing so much pain from so many different places that it spills over. Yeah. And you don't know how to let go of it. So it's like a release mentally. Mm -hmm. Not a healthy way to do it. Right. Don't recommend ever doing that. But that was my reasoning when I did those things. Then I found music. At 19, I started writing music and singing. I began recording at a local studio and performing at karaoke bars. I was doing really well. I went to my first concert ever for MGK, someone I looked up to so much. I was front row and was pulled up on stage. 
We laughed backstage and spoke about music. We talked about how much his music impacted me. And someone else was there, listening in on our conversation. That someone will not be mentioned in this because I never reported it, nor do I want any sort of attention from him or his family. But let me clarify now that MGK was not involved in this situation at all whatsoever. As I was leaving, this someone came up to me to talk about music. He said he heard me singing backstage and that he did music himself. After all, he was one of the opening acts, so I trusted that. He invited me to come record music, and I flashed back to my history, so I asked if I could bring a friend, and he said yes. The next day, my friend and I drove two hours to go meet him and record music. I had one drink and only have bits and pieces of that night in my memory. I won't get too graphic, but I will say I know exactly what happened because those are the only pieces I remember. So you're doing drugs, smoking, drinking. How long is that going on? before and at what age did it happen again so it happened again at 19 i was still in the same year this person i will not mention specifics because this person is famous so that i never reported at all because everybody knows how that goes it doesn't go so i was just like absolutely not i said nothing and i didn't report it i didn't go to hospital i didn't do a single thing only two people know about it that I've spoken to like I can talk about like what happened and where it happened but like the person I don't want to mention but I was with a friend we went to a concert it was my first concert it was one of my favorite rap artists at the time and I have no idea how we somehow managed to get to the front row and it was great I was super excited I got to go up on stage which was really exciting and everybody was having fun like it was a good time. Like I was genuinely having a fun time with my friend and I get to get on stage with this person that I just absolutely adored as an artist because he portrayed so much honesty in the music that he wrote. And I related to a lot of it. So I was like, okay, I was so excited. And he invited me backstage with him and he was great. He was super sweet. He was very down to earth. There was nothing inappropriate at all said or done whatsoever. We talked about music because I do like to sing. And that was a passion of mine. And I was asking him like general questions about music and how he got there. And like, how did you get over being scared? Just normal conversation. One of his openers had been listening to the conversation and he reached out to me the next day via social media and told me that he saw a video of me singing somewhere and he thought I was really great. And he wanted to do a song with me. And that was my immediate, oh my gosh, this could be it for me. And I fell for it. He told me that he had a studio in his house, which a lot of people do that are musicians. They do have studios in their houses or they have it close to their houses. And he was in Orlando and he was like, well, come up to my studio at my house. You can bring a friend. And so I brought a friend. I drove up there the next day and it seemed legit. We sat for a couple of hours, talked about music, talked about a few things. And I was given a drink and immediately I was like, crap, because I loved to drink because I felt nothing. I didn't think anything about sexual assault. I didn't want to start drinking like that because I knew that if I started drinking, I wasn't going to stop because I was so depressed that that's what I would do at that time. So we're drinking and one drink turned into like four or five. And then that, that was where I stopped because I was kind of feeling that tipsy vibe that I was like, okay, I don't want to do this. And I was trying to get a hold of my friend and tell her like, Hey, like I'm ready to go. She slumped over on the couch and not moving. So I'm like, 
okay, four drinks is not going to do that to somebody that drinks as often as we did ever. And about 15 minutes later, I was out of it. Like, I don't remember getting to a room. I don't remember anything passing. My friend slumped over on the couch and I woke up the next morning and I knew that something had happened because of how I felt in specific areas. So that was the third time that it happened. And that I never, again, I never reported because everybody had been drinking. It was somebody that was in the media and I didn't want to put myself through a public humiliation, I guess is how I would put it because you see it with people that are celebrities and it doesn't matter. It doesn't go anywhere and nobody talks about it or they get a slap on the wrist or they get told the person that's saying it happened is accused of lying because they just want what everybody calls clout and attention or they want money. And I was like, I'm not doing it. So I just kept quiet. I didn't say anything. Did you tell your parents about this one or no? Later on, did they find out? I think they know because they've heard me talking to like my best friend about it. Now that I've spoken to like different places and been like, Hey, I know this, this is what I dealt with. This is what happened to me. They know now, but it took me a while to open up about it because I didn't really know how to. And once it happens, especially once it happens more than once, immediately in your own head, you're like, Oh my God, this is a pattern. What could I possibly be doing? Yeah. So I was blaming myself left and right. I drove home the next day, dropped my friend off at her house, and I decided that was it. At 19, I was done with life. I was being a punching bag and the person that kept getting hurt in unspeakable ways. I drove to the Sunshine Skyway Bridge and had every intention of ending things right there. Be sure to tune in next week for part two of Tiffany's story. And if you or anyone you know has experienced sexual assault and needs help, you can reach out to the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673. If you know someone this story might resonate with, send them a link to this episode. Also, tag me on Instagram at Tracy Farron and let me know what part of this story resonated with you the most. The best way to help support this show is to rate, review, and subscribe. Your support means everything. Until next time, rock your kindness. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.